Hey, I'm Brett Gornick. I'm Jason Lobig. Welcome to the Live Better Podcast. Best day ever. We are coaches, trainers, retreat leaders, and wellness advisors, but didn't start our careers doing this. Jason worked in public accounting, and I worked in corporate retail until starting our dream business in which we help people from all different industries pursue their best day ever every single day. The goal of this podcast is to interview both each other and other professionals making an impact on the world on how wellness is the fuel to do whatever it is in life you want to do better. This podcast is about teaching people to actively pursue their purpose and how to use self-care to do it. We're here to show you how the best day of our mindset is available to anyone at any time, no matter your circumstance. It's your choice and we're here to encourage you. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and even YouTube. You can also listen to our podcast on www.livebetterco.org. Have the best day ever. All right, Live Better fam. Uh, Brett here, super excited to have Tyler Ray, Project Pure Athlete, coach, jump trainer, athlete trainer, um, and hopefully by the end of this episode, help, helping me get my vert up a little bit. So we're excited to have Tyler on the show. Uh, how you doing today, brother? You know what? We're doing as well as we can be. I think the world is in its source, so we're just trying to stay positive and, and remember that, you know what, this too shall pass. You know what? We're, we, we don't stop. We don't stop. We're doing well. Yeah, you can't stop during this time. So uh, we're recording this in the midst of quarantine. So we are we are definitely taking our, our time for physical distancing here, but uh, we're staying social, we're staying connected. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that Live Better talks about and preaches. And um, we're going to get into a lot of, of interesting things today around uh, mindset, around being an athlete and specifics um, around jumping. As everybody knows, by the end of this year, I'm going to throw one down. Um, so let's, let's dive, let's dive into that from the start. Um, can you talk about the jump? Um, so I've been, uh, I have a a coach here in Chicago. Um, I'm talking to a couple other people online, just learning as much as I can around jumping. Um, we're going to take it in the multiple different lanes here, but take me through a good jump. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it can look a lot of different ways, but what the jump is always rooted in is its core behaviors. So what we do here at Project Pure Athlete, and what I've based on my life's work has been about is kind of establishing and reinforcing the concept of jumping as an art form uh, expressed through obviously and and kind of um, analyzed through science. So I think a lot of people try to over science jumping too much and what we've tried to do is basically open up a brand new lens to be able to look through it. So position, behavior, and then largely based on your intentions behind your jump. So a lot of the work we do with our athletes, um, both at a beginner level and a professional level, is to kind of tap into how that athlete finds that kind of natural ebb and flow of their movement. So it would be irresponsible of me to say, okay, every single jump has to look the exact same way to be effective. What I do like to see is that there are consistent behaviors. So one of the big behaviors behind jumping is what we call connectedness. So from the start to the finish of the jump, no matter if you're jumping up one or two feet, we want to see that effort look connected. So there's a consistent acceleration from start to finish, and your jump doesn't end until you're on the floor, until you've landed. What we see in the in the greater scheme of athletic performance is a lot of athletes um, accelerate 
to the point of their jump versus through the point of their jump. So we get a lot of wasted um, potential and kinetic energy that comes in and it's kind of bled through a lot of these, um, you know, poor positions or prolonged positions in time. So we see number one is behavior. We see connectedness. And then a lot of it is how, what are your intentions behind this jump? We do so much work just with, with an athlete and, and kind of getting them to kind of get outside of their own head a little bit, right? When it comes down to jumping your highest, I think we put a lot of expectations on ourselves and we're like, you know, I, I, I know try to jump higher and what happens when you're trying to do things and forcefully uh you know muscling your way through jumps is that you take away from a lot of that natural connectedness from from contact to contact from stride to stride and specifically in the way that your body kind of naturally knows how to source energy um in that in that ballistic fashion so it's Talking about the perfect jump is really just talking about the athlete that loses the least amount of energy from start to finish. Uh, yeah, I think that that's super important. And one thing that I, I've really connected with on your channel is just that. Um, I think there's two sides to or multiple sides to everything. Um, and from an athletic pursuit, um, a lot of it has to go into what you said is the intention behind it. And that's one thing that I've been working on. So a little bit more background about this journey. Um, I've, I've, tried to pursue athletic pursuits that are a little bit outside of, of my natural uh, skill as an athlete. So last year, um, pursued the sub three hour marathon after never running anything more than a 5k. Um, and within one year training cycle was able to was able to get that, which is a little bit under a seven minute mile, uh, which was awesome. And it was interesting, though, because on that journey, like you said, um, my intention was there. I knew I was a, I was a capable runner from the speed perspective because I could put down a pretty fast mile time. And I said, okay, well, if I can do this for one mile, it's just going to take the right amount of training to be able to do this over 26.2. So the intention for me was there. When I go into the jump, um, the background of this was um, through my high school athletic journey, um, I never ended up making my varsity basketball team. So I loved basketball. It was a highlight of my entire life. And I got cut my junior year. Long story short, worked extremely hard and got cut again my senior year. Now, I knew I was never going to be a guy that was going to be playing based on my my skill level. And honestly, like my high school was extremely good at hoops. Um, so it was more of just something to be a part of the unit and be a part of a team. And so I learned so much from that. And you know, like you work with athletes, the make, not making a high school sport is one of the most depressing and devastating things for anybody. Um, likewise, if you're good enough to play and you're not playing as well, it's a very similar journey. So for me, um, this is, is rooting back to that time in my life, which was definitely one of those things you look at. And like from a pain tracing perspective is, is something that's built me into who I am today, being able to overcome adversity after putting in years and years of effort and not seeing the reward. So on top of that, I've had a reoccurring dream ever since I was that age, like a legit dream once or twice a month that I can just like you said, easily go up and just, just dunk. Nothing crazy. I'm not doing like through the leg windmills or anything like that, but right. dunking isn't a challenge. It's just like I go up, like I can dunk, I can catch some oops, and then I wake up and I'm like, oh, like I can easily go out there and do it. And then I go up and it's like if I can tap the rim, it's a good day. So it's, right. it's, it's definitely for me, it's like there's something beyond the athletic side of this. So of course the training is, is important. Like taking a correct protocol, making sure that the right muscles are firing in the right order. But a lot of it has to do with the intention behind this. 
And so what I'm noticing on this and why I'm trying to align myself with people like you and following your page is because there's a lot more that goes into this dunk than the physical training journey. Um, I'm very confident. I am a trainer and I've, and I've worked out programming and I can kind of see how these things are going to play into each other. The one thing on this side, on this journey versus the marathon is it's, it's for some reason, I think it's back to that pain tracing. There's a lot more mental side of this. Like I just, I, when I did the marathon, I was like, I know I can get there because I just, I just feel it for this. It's like, I'm having trouble with that. So can you talk to me about how, you know, personally I can overcome that. And I think how a lot, how that can really help a lot of not just jumpers, but people trying to start their own business or troubles at home or troubles with work can really translate uh, on the mental side of this pursuit. Yes. I mean, in the, in the circumstance that you're in right now, I mean, you are, you've set out to uh, accomplish a goal. And I think a lot of times what happens is, you know, depending on the person, if you're anything like me, is that when you set a goal, you get, you get almost obsessed with the goal. Uh, and that can serve you very well in a lot of circ- in a lot of instances. But what it can also do is cause you to at times overanalyze and overthink and put yourself in a position of uh, too much too quickly. And I think what will happen in a jump setting is that oftentimes less is more, especially with an athlete or jump wise that doesn't have necessarily that background and pedigree in things that involve jumping. Like when you're coming at it as just a, I'm an athlete that wants to uh, dunk a basketball, right? And we see people dunk and you're like, yeah, you just have to jump high. So I need, I need strength. I need power. I need to have low body fat in order to get off the floor uh, and I'll be able to dunk. And then realizing very quickly, like, holy crap, like jump right separate from dunking dunking is a skill separate from jumping so the, a lot of the conversations I have with athletes that are on that dunk quest is uh, to understand that they're very two separate skills and you have to fall in love with both of them equally for that to be something that is really in your future like if you want to dunk a basketball and you're like I won't stop till I dunk a basketball you better be in love with the process number one because it is not always going to be that three month, six month, nine month, even a year journey. This is something that people work at for their entire lives. I mean, I've, I've had people that have been like, you know, I've been working for 10 years and I, I'm trying to get my first dunk. And what we do is we really just try to unlock where they're stuck mentally in terms of I've set this expectation and I'm not reaching it. So therefore I'm not improving. And it's like when the measure is only ever, I'm only better if I'm jumping higher Then oftentimes it slows the process down because you're, there are so many other, um, you know, mediums of measure that I think we overlook as in, in quote unquote jump training, right? When you're putting in that work in the gym as a, as a strength conditioning coach or a trainer, you understand that sometimes you have to fill the meter on, on different elements of performance for your jump meter to go up by one tick. Yep. So yep. like we put all this effort in and we're like, okay, I've been training for three months and my verticals only went up like one inch. Like this is brutal. I'm not making any progress. Well, it's like you might've also filled a huge deficit of your stability needs over that three months that are going to put you in a position to progress over the next three months and gain two inches or another inch. So it's, it's really just continually uh, doing what called perspective anchoring. And it's like, okay, it's, it's not as bad as I think, or I'm doing, I'm doing better than I realize and just staying kind of firm on that journey and committing to it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a passion project, uh, you know, wanting to jump and dunk really becomes 
I think it's on a lot more people's bucket list than, than yeah. people realize, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, hoop dreams. Hoop dreams <laughs> yeah. A lot of people. And, you know, for me, it's like jumping came a little bit more naturally to me earlier in life, which was a good thing. But it also served to be kind of a bad thing when it came down to learning how to actually put additional work in to become an even better athlete. And I had this conversation recently with a, with a handful of my athletes in community is that we, you know, when a natural athlete pops up and you tell them, like, here's some work that we're going to do to make you better. Sometimes the mentality is like, well, why would I do anything additionally when I'm already naturally so good at jumping? Or someone sees a breakdown of a jump I've done of someone that's really good and goes, well, that's only because they're naturally good. Well, it's like, do you not, sometimes you don't realize what type of work is going in behind the scenes to not only help this athlete jump higher, but reinforce the skill set that they had in the first place. So yeah, man, it's, it's, it's one of those things where no matter who you are, it's going to be a constant mental battle and uh, an anchoring process back to that. Am I truly in love with this process? Cause you're going to have to be, it's going to test you um, on a whole different, on a whole bunch of different levels. Uh, I'd, I'd actually recommend you right now. Do you practice like right now you're training, I'm assuming consists largely of like, you're in the, you're in the weight room, you're putting in work to get stronger. Mm -hmm. You're doing some combination, some contrast work, lifting some weights, doing some jumping and plyometrics in contrast with that. And, uh, I imagine a lot of like stability work through your trunk and core. Yep. Uh, do you practice the skill of jumping outside of just going to the gym and like just running and jumping and trying to grab that rim? Like what, what's your protocol look like outside of the weight room specifically? Yeah, outside of the weight room, a couple of things that I'm adding in are definitely like isometrics, um, stability work. I saw you guys posted a really cool post about some at-home stuff in regards to like a split squat, a hold, and some like bounding jumps from that. So I'm definitely doing that. Um, from a jumping perspective though, I definitely – right now I have two jump days a week. Um, one is very specific on the court in regards to – just going up like smack and backboard and I have like five or six different jumps that I'm doing one foot, uh, one foot to double leg landing, double leg takeoff to single foot landing. So definitely working off of those, um, all in the gym setting. And then the second day is, is much more of like bounding work. So just using, I, I'm still on the court, but, uh, right. just from like a mindset perspective, but I'm not going like as much vertically as I am just like working through and then doing some more like penultimate step through jumps where, um, I'm working on that step. And that's one of the big things I learned from you guys is the importance of that. And you talked about like the energy through the jump. And it's so interesting because like looking at myself as an athlete, um, whether it's like throwing a football or swinging a golf club, I have good accuracy, but I've always lacked that power. And I always know because like mentally I think about like hitting the object and not going through it. Like I just look at my, like my little league baseball career and like I was a very good like bunter and like hitting the gaps, but I never hit home runs. And I like look at myself as like a golfer and it's like, I have a really good short game, but like my drive is shit. And it's always because of like, I'm just, I can't get through like going through it. And now that you say that, like my mind is ringing about all the jumps I've taken have been to like get to a point and not like explode through it. So, I mean, that would be good. I'd love for you to like dissect that jump protocol. And, and now I'm just taking mental note of how I can get better, which is great. Yeah. My, you know, my job really is to help people it, it's funny like i we have a coaching certification that we 
Bull One Jump Coach certification. And I had a couple people go through our beta um, course and came came out the other end. And the one guy described it. He's like, it was like being in, in the Matrix and taking the red pill. And he's like, you just you just look at jumping differently. And I was actually had that battle with myself for a long time, whether or not that I'd even put a certification like that in place because I naturally view jumping a certain way. And I was like, will I be able to communicate this to a, to a person? And then they are yep. able to then apply that to their athletes. And it just came down to um, coming up with like a methodology that can be interpreted specifically by that coach and implemented in their own voice with some underlying principles so that was that was the challenge but yeah it was funny it was like you know i took the red pill and all of a sudden i came out the other end and and i just looked at jumping differently that's the goal and and from your perspective is if you can start to understand some of these like rudimentary jump behaviors that a lot of people don't see most people when they watch jumping see the result they see wow that was high or that dunk was cool i look at jumping almost entirely what happens before that point and i always had so I, someone would send me a, a highlight and i would go in my head what got them to that point right if we want to jump higher why are we paying so much attention to what's happening at the end yep. and we're not focusing on all of these contacts these positions and relationships the behaviors that these athletes are are exhibiting and having obviously been a jumper on my end, it was something that I just intuitively felt. It was hard to describe. So I just worked for years and years and years to put these concepts on paper and create cues and, and establish a, a kind of a fundamental um, methodology that people could refer to. And it's really cool to be able to see our methods and our, and our verbiage and our, and our nomenclature just kind of surfacing globally um, from different coaches and athletes. Like having going into a gym now and being able to hear an athlete refer to their penultimate step yeah. is probably the, the most rewarding thing ever. Like that term existed, obviously, in the world of track and field. It was very, very well utilized. And that's where I came up largely yep. was through the world of track. But I said, why has nobody implemented the concept of jump technique off two feet? So it just I started posting years ago just my athletes and some and some captions about this, you know, uh, the the um, vocabulary behind what I had coached for years. And then people started liking it, like really liking it where my, my posts would go from like 800 views to like half a million of people sharing and going, this is this stuff's crazy. And I'm going, this stuff is so <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I just got behind this wave and wrote it. And it's neat to be able to see it just being used and, and people thriving from it. And obviously, the growth has been something that we're very grateful for. And obviously, now we have opportunities to jump on podcasts with uh, guys like you. And yeah. we love it. We absolutely love it. But I love seeing the fact that you have a journey, you have a goal. Yeah. Uh, I'd recommend getting into some low rim dunking yeah. once a week. I was thinking about that. Learn to dunk. Yeah. I'm not lying to you. Like, I know guys that can jump out of the gym and still have a hard time yeah. dunking about Yeah. So think about this, right? You're going to put all this work in to be able to get your fingers right. You're going to get your fingers over the rim, right? Then you're going to get mid-palm and then your thumb and you're going to go, my hand's over the rim. I'll be able to dunk it. There's no definite equation of like, I need to be exactly five inches over the rim. <laughs> yeah. You need to be able to dunk a basketball to dunk a basketball. <laughs> yeah. so I recommend getting on a low rim because what that will do is it will help you to reinforce and create a little tighter network of the, the rhythms involved with dunking. So how to progress from a jump to a dunk from a 
positional and body awareness standpoint. Yeah, love that. I think I want to ask two more specific questions yeah. and I want to dial in more into your journey because you said that you came up through the track and field round. I want to really get into how you created this and like you said, the vocabulary and all of that. So my, my two questions and we'll go, I'll send them both out and then you can just, you can rip them. One is um, two foot versus one foot is, is one of those uh, better to maybe focus on. I, when I did my vert test, I got way higher off of a two foot than I did off of a one. And I think that was because I'm naturally left-handed, but I've broken my right ankle and torn my right hamstring. So the rhythm feels better coming off that way, but I can't, I actually get higher jumping off my left foot, but the rhythm feels weird. So from a dunking perspective, I got higher jumping off two, reaching with left. So that's one question. Um, and then the second question is you talked about, and I love this, you talked about other markers that are kind of filling those other gaps for the jump. Do you have any specifics on those, whether they're, um, specific strength exercises, trying to get to a certain percentage of your body weight for reps or being able to hold isometrics for a certain amount of time? Like, do you have other silos that should be filled, um, from more of like an objective standpoint, um, in regards to creating like the full, athlete okay we'll start first with your uh the two foot one foot yep. and we'll roll into that other um the other topic there so number one is going to be you mentioned you're left-handed what is your plant sequence right now so your last two contacts when you jump off of two feet what's the order of application of your feet do you go left right or right left right left jump right left jump and you mentioned that you jump hot you you're jumping higher off of two feet yep and that you injured that right side yep quite bad over the years yep so in the realm of jump technique and jumping in general the last two contacts of a two foot jump we call that first contact our plant foot yep and we call the very last foot that contacts the ground our block foot plant for all intents and purposes is the power foot plant equals power block equals breaks so when i hear someone that's had some issues with injury to a leg it would make sense to me that you would put that and 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 probably prioritize that as your first contact simply from the the velocity at which the movement changes so with our block foot being primarily eccentric in nature that last contact is responsible for basically converting the horizontal momentum yep. into verticality right we put that breakout to provide a stopping force if we didn't put it out and we didn't put out with aggressive intent we do what's called blow through our takeoff you, and you've done these jumps before where you go to jump and that block foot comes down passively and you kind of roll through the takeoff and yep. you end up like first into a wall or you end up buried <laughs> on your face so it kind of makes sense to me that you would that you would stagger those um, steps that way, and then obviously with your left hand from a reaching perspective, that that you know that makes a fair bit of sense. It's your lead hand you're reaching with uh, your left hand. I would still play around with a left right plant, even though you maybe aren't familiar with it. I would pattern all your plant sequences because it helps to kind of um, create a more well-rounded. Um, complete jumper totally and a lot of times what that will do is is help to firm up other areas of the other plant sequence and kind of tie things together so i'd network those together a little bit more from a what is better perspective i get this question a lot like is it better to jump off one foot or two feet for jump height it's so you know it's so athlete to athlete it's so individual in nature um, it's hard to say i would practice them all 
go with what's comfortable, learn to dunk on low rims off one foot, two foot, right, left plant, left, right plant, uh, right foot, left foot, everything you possibly can. And I would really focus on patterning those from a shorter approach almost always. And I'm talking like step, push through your penultimate, punch your block foot. One, two, three. Keep it short. Um, Free throw line to three-point line. I think what a lot of people do is they go, okay, I need to jump high, so I need to have like a 400-foot approach. (laughs) I'm going to get the clap going from the crowd. I'm going (laughs) to come in like a bat out of hell. Well, what happens is, and you see it all the time, is tons of speed into the approach. Holy crap, I'm going way too fast. Stutter step, shorten it up, little hop step, and by the end of it, all that initial work you did, all it did was make you tired. Yep. <laughs> right? all, yeah. and, it, and it just became a lot of extra noise. So a lot of short approach work. You're probably going to jump a lot higher at this point as a, a more of an amateur jumper from a short approach. Nine times out of 10, that's how I get people to jump higher on the spot. We take away steps immediately um, and we focus on just accelerating through that takeoff. So that's going to be your pattern and your focus most definitely. And one foot to two foot, I'd play around with both. And, and um, so the behaviors need to be pretty crystal clear amongst that. We'll go into that a little further, too, if we talk more about the actual, like, methods, if you, if you want to dive into that. Because the specifics get, you know, if your listeners are like, holy crap, this is a, this is a little bit <laughs> yeah. more biomechanical than I No, I love it. But we can, we can absolutely talk about that. The other question you had were markers and, and very objective markers, like I should have – X percentage of this uh, in relationship to my my weight. So we are very, we approach, all puns intended, we approach jumping differently in terms of the strength conditioning side of things in a lot of ways here. Not that we don't do it and not that we don't value it. It's that we don't necessarily always work toward those markers. What we do is we say because we understand that people express jumping in in a very large variety of ways we try to identify what type of jumper you are initially from a called jump archetype standpoint so we have two very distinct types of jumpers we have um, people who are predominantly power or strength jumpers we we are we identify those as the athletes that typically have require a little bit more time under tension or ground contact time to be able to source and release or apply energy to the ground and then the other side of the spectrum is speed or elastic jumpers ones that require a high amount of speed and reactive strength versus time you know time under uh, ground contact and applying just that raw force and what we look to do is basically identify where you fall in this spectrum and cater towards that in the gym so if you're a strength power jumper the way you structure your workouts will look a little bit different than when you are a speed elastic jumper not that you won't do similar lifts you just might apply the loading protocol differently and the set and rep schemes a little bit differently. So for someone that, just to give a quick example, I'm a, I was much more of an elastic jumper. Um, very, very fast, very, very quick off the ground. If I sat in the gym and did a lot of higher rep, higher load movements over and over again, my ability to express my vertical actually went down. So even though I was getting stronger, mm-hmm. what it's doing is it's really taking away from my ability to source a lot of that kind of like neuromuscular elasticity or, or reactive strength and vice versa. If you take someone that is very highly strength and power oriented and say, all you have to do is a whole bunch of plyos and sprinting and you'll jump higher. At the end of the day, the, the, you know, the reality of the situation is the stronger that athlete gets, 
likelihood is the higher they'll jump over time. So we just, we, we structure the way the, the lifting looks a bit differently. So to say that there are distinct markers, some people do use them and sometimes that's nice to have, but I think at the end of the day, what you're looking for is, you know, session to session and day to day, do I feel like I'm just becoming a better athlete? And yeah. a lot of that is just down to, you know, that kind of perceived, um, implications. So we use a lot of RPE based training here. So a lot of just feel because jumping is so largely feel oriented yeah. that a lot of our methods are rooted in. I want this to be a nine, uh, in terms of RPE. I want you to be able to work through this set with one in the tank and it to feel like a nine for you that day, because a nine one day feels like a, you know, might feel like a 10 another day. It might feel like a seven another day. Yep. We want to cater to that nervous system. And because jumping is so highly nervous system dependent, and yeah, at the end of the day, that's kind of how we view the, the the strength conditioning side of things. Identify the athlete and help the athlete thrive specifically to where they fall along that kind of speed power spectrum. Yeah, I love and, that. I love yeah. that. I think that that's, that's super important. I love that because that can translate into so many other things. I think that can translate into um, just the human being as 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 who they are. And I think a lot of times... Um, when we look at just becoming a better person or better athlete, like it's a lot of just like looking at where you have room to improve and filling those gaps and also being able to just look at yourself and say like, this is going to be the hard stuff. And you mentioned like talking to an athlete that already knows or feels good. And you're like, well, if you fill these gaps and they're like, well, I don't like doing that. Or like, that doesn't, that doesn't come natural to me. And I think we all can work through that. So um, I think I want to just back up a little bit. We, we do- yep. dove right in. I loved it. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about your story. Uh, let's talk about how you have taken your learnings from track and field to this. Let's talk about your jumping journey. Um, so let's just start back with um, how you became a coach. So I, I'm a lifelong educator. I think that's something that became very evident to me very early on, you know, always actively seeking out opportunities to be involved in things like camps. Um, you know, even in school, I just, you know, I, I would always gravitate towards trying to help people through things and because certain things came a little bit more natural to me in the early years. So I think I just, I really wanted to pass that on to other people. Um, from a coach perspective, when I graduated, um, high school, I went to the University of Windsor here in Ontario, Canada in the human kinetics program. And pretty much right out of the gate, um, I got my like personal training certification back when I was turning 20 years old. Uh, so it's about 16 years ago now. And um, I just started like taking, you know what I mean? Being a personal trainer in university was cool. It was like yeah, on the sides, you could learn and kind of sharpen your sword. And, and I think that that ability to work with like the general population in those early years was probably one of the biggest tools in my belt and still is one of the biggest tools in my belt because what it teaches you is it teaches you how to coach people. And I think at the end of the day, what, what I see in the athletic performance industry is that some coaches forget that the athletes are more than their metrics and their data points right there. They're legitimately human beings. So I, the thing I love most about coaching is the human element. And I think that's what's made me a little bit more successful in this area is the ability to get that buy-in from the athlete and let them know that I'm there to help nurture them and help them grow. I'm not there to, you know, they're not a number to me. Right. So as you know, I kind of sharpened my sword through the years as a, as a personal trainer um, in, you know, fitness facilities, 
I, I knew I was in love with jumping since I've been a kid. I mean, that's all I ever wanted to do growing up was go out in my backyard and, and throw dunks down on my little net. And my dad was like, you have legitimately been obsessed with dunking and jumping since you were a kid. And everything I wanted, everything I did as an athlete was very focused on, on skill. I, I was less concerned about the sport, if this makes sense. Like I would play basketball, but I would have more fun trying to dunk and like, jump higher than everybody i play volleyball but i just wanted to be able to like spike a volleyball way better than everybody like i wanted the, the specific almost yeah. like the you know the quote-unquote show-off parts of it like i just loved it that's why i think i i gravitated towards track and field because track and field is highest fastest furthest longest everything is about being the absolute best you can possibly be in a specific skill so that's where the the track and field thing came in and that really overlapped my coaching in the early years where I coached on the side largely because I actually went through university and I became a teacher. So I was a teacher at a, at a school for, for three years alongside being a trainer early on in my career. So I, I was an educator in a, in a, you know, a school setting. I was an educator um, in the gym setting. And I think after a few years, I became very, it became very evident to me that I can combine my love of education and my love of the of athleticism into one congruent career, which is being an athletic educator. And that's kind of always been my focus is just be an educator first. And coaching was something that was kind of what the title that other people gave it. I was like, I'm just teaching people how to, how to live and, and ride this athletic journey because there's so much more to it than just the weight room and so much more to it than just the court. It's like, how do you manage yourself as just a, as an athlete, um, you know, when no one's looking, what, what types of things are you putting in place to succeed um, off the court? So yeah, that's always been kind of a big focus for me. So we talk a lot and a lot of what we do at live better is help people to get to the point of making the decision of the passion. And I love this because your story is so similar to mine and the fact that, this has been a burning desire in my life since I can remember to be a coach, to be somebody that transmits health health information and trying to optimize people's health and wellness. Uh, I've always been into it. Like I, I always was like loved like vegetables and like wanted to help people run and jump. And like, even though, like I said, in my journey, like I de definitely was never the best. I was always the guy winning the sprints in high school um, that people were exhausted because they just didn't have that in them. So what, if there was a moment or moments in time that got you from being the teacher and coach or teacher and trainer, and when were you able to jump all in? How did you do that? What what were you able to do to get rid of maybe some of the security of the teaching job? And like, how did you just do it? How did you go all in at this and then um, like make it your your life? That's a, that's a real. It's funny. That's a question that I'm not asked very often. Um, that, but that's something that has been on my mind and and been something that I've thought about multiple times. Obviously, I think from any you know anybody that's had this similar type of journey where there there is a distinct transitional time where you have to make that call. You know, am I going to jump or am I going to get scared of the possibility that this is not going to work? And for me, it came down to the support around me at the time. So. I mean, I've had life um, occurrences, I think, that early on prevented me from 
pulling the trigger simply based on you want to make sure certain people around you are happy and they're satisfied. And, you know, I, um, in a, and I'll just be, I'm a very transparent person. So I hope this isn't too personal, but like, no, go ahead. I, you know, I got married very young, uh, initially in my early twenties and, uh, you know, my, my first wife just didn't get it. It wasn't her. And I've always been the person that's like, I'm, I'm a little bit fearless in that respect where I'm like, I just want to try. I think I always am the person that's just like, why not? Because the fear of knowing that I didn't try is so much more powerful than the fear of thinking I might fail. So, and, and that's, and that's a quote that I think is always, you know, as, as maybe as cliche as quotes can be, but like for me, it's your desire to succeed must always outweigh your fear of failure. And I've always had a burning desire to succeed. And I, but succeed has just looked different for me along the way for me initially as a young kid like success was you know can i make a living can i at least like pay my bills doing what i love right and then success turns into can i teach more than people in my local area and then success looks like well will people reference my work sometime uh, will i be able to influence the most amount of people possible and it's it, it that evolves over time but yeah the the transition for me was finding the support required and it was largely coming to the realization that I didn't need someone's permission and the people that will that the support from the people that matter will come because they just they just truly know who you are and they, and they believe in you and then I obviously my my first relationship we we parted ways we grew apart and I, I spent a good you know chunk of years really just putting in work and trying to establish myself. And I've met my, my wife now and we have a beautiful family together and she is my, my biggest supporter. And she's like, I married you because the way you are. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I don't. And I said, I I hate expectations. I think that's like one of the worst things from like a relationship, even personal friend to friend is when you have an expectation of someone, any expectation, I think immediately taints that relationship. So I, I said to her, I said, I expect you to be exactly the person I met and I hope that's the same thing for you. And and from that, I've been fearless because I have an absolute uh, enormous support net underneath me of people that just believe regardless that something good will come out of it. Even if it's not financial success, it's you, you gain something very usable from everything that you decide to try. I love that. I mean, thanks so much for for sharing that too. I think yeah, uh, it's it, it's very important because um, along these journeys. So a little background into my business partner and I. We both had corporate jobs that were like super high paying, super high rewarding, big four hundred one ks, bonuses, and we decided to pull the shoot too. And we love talking to this about people because a lot of people that we interact with ask us about that journey because we're very vocal that you can do whatever it is that you want. And our tool to do that is health and wellness. Like when you are your strongest physically and mentally, you have the capability to overcome that fear. And one of our big things that we talk about and exactly what you just said is that you are the product of the five people you spend the most time with. And our most intimate relationships can be fueling us like they are right now, or they can hold us back. And a lot of times it's important to like look at ourselves and be very you know, transparent. And it's just like what you said with a lot of like the, the jumping stuff, like it totally relates. It's like, how do you feel? 
And when the feeling is up, then, I mean, it's super interesting. The performance goes up. So whether it's an athletic pursuit or a personal pursuit, your feeling, your consciousness is an extremely important building block, if not the most important building block for whatever it is you're trying to do. And that's one of the selfish reasons that I'm taking people like you on my podcast is just so that I can hear that it's possible and surround myself with those that are training other people to do this so that I have a network now of people I can rely on or shoot videos to or shoot a text to because building up that team, we call it your board of advisors, are the people you'll go to in the times in which you are in need or in also the random times when you're not and they hit you with a message or a phone call or you see them on Instagram and you can just be like, wow, like these people are out there doing it. So it's amazing. Um, what so since the the business has started how have you transformed it into where you are now and then once you answer that i'm going to uh, ask ask this again but like what exactly are you doing now with project pure athletes so start with the build up let's talk about that and then let's dive into your current pursuits yeah so project pure athlete the the actual company itself i mean i've obviously been coaching and training for i said 16 years but the the brand itself has been about seven or eight years now in the works um started initially as um, a local you know training service training basically athletes out of my garage and and um for locations the parks and and really just kind of riding the the buzz that I had as an athlete. So I was a, uh, obviously, I was a Team Canada track and field athlete, but I also became a professional show dunker. So I used to travel the world dunking basketballs in front of crowds and and at times getting paid for it, which was really cool. And I, I just got known as this this jump guy, this guy that's just like, this. if you want to jump, this guy is like jumps like 48 inches in the air. Like he can teach you how to jump. So I became that guy. So I tried to leverage that in combination with my educational ability as a, as a coach and, and um, understanding the body and, and jumping in general and said, you know what, like, why don't we try to make our own, you know, why don't I try to make my own yeah. thing, right? I w- I've always been paying cuts to gyms to like work out of their facilities. Like, why not just do this myself? And, you know, making the decision to grab that local business license and, and uh, make a couple business cards and showing up at sporting events in the city handing them out and grabbing a few athletes and basically just helping them to jump higher. Social media became like the, you know, the, the launching platform. When I started, it was like YouTube just kind of started. Like I, I was like pre Instagram, pre everything. Yeah. I mean, I'd been coaching for years before, you know, when Facebook was still like a, a, a thought. <laughs> uh, so, you know, for the, the first message is if you're listening and you're a trainer, like, you're going to be fine. Like people used to do this before social media. So you're going to be fine. Just keep being passionate yeah. and keep moving <laughs> yeah. forward. Right. Um, but YouTube became a thing and I, I, I posted a lot of, you know, training videos and my, in my dunking videos and people would hit me up. I decided at one point I said, I need to put like an online program up because I see all these online programs that are on there and they're garbage. I'm like, I hate how they are large, you know, at the time it was like largely marketing companies that would, you know, get some sort of ghost written template and they would just sell it. They're really good at selling. And now knowing how the back end of a lot of the online e-commerce world works, I'm like, you know, a lot of people were duped into buying garbage programming and they hurt themselves. So I said, I just want to be responsible for putting something better into the atmosphere. And I hope that some people land on it. And when I initially did that back in 2007, 
Um, I put it out in my first year and didn't expect much. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I, I make a program. It was like 50 bucks or four. I can't even remember what it was. 40 or 50 bucks. It was like full three months, like periodized program, jumping built in, lifting built in, video libraries. Like I spent hundreds of hours putting yeah. this together. And I said, you know what? If even if like 10 or 15 people buy this, like it was fun. I had a good time. And like that first year, like I was still kind of teaching at the time and this was right as I pulled the the plug on on the teaching and I said, I'm just going to go in. I mean, I, I did like, I can't remember. It was like, I don't know, maybe like 15 or 20 grand or something. Like my first, I, I did something. I was like, wow, yeah. <laughs> I made this all by myself and I didn't have that. I'm my own boss. I'm like, I can eat, you know, craft dinner <laughs> yeah. ramen noodles and peanut butter off a spoon. <laughs> that means that I get to wake up and do this myself. Yep. And that was like the catalyst. That's what it went. And basically what happens over the years, I became a little bit more established on social media. Um, as I transitioned from the professional dunk world, I had a back injury that kind of forced me to, to pull out a bit. And um, I just decided to, you know, really amplify my presence as a coach because I've been doing all this locally. So I the one day at this time I had about maybe 3000 followers on Instagram and I was, you know, posting everything that everybody posts, right. Athletes doing back squats, athletes doing this. And I was getting five, six, 700 views. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. I decided the one day to post one of my volleyball athletes, a girl that I was working with um, doing an approach jump on a vertex um, side angle, slow motion, and then talk about it. Just say, here's what we're working on. Here's the technique we're working on. I posted that video and that video did half a million views in about a week. It got reposted on a million channels and my channel went from 3,000 to 10,000 in about two weeks. So my eyes kind of opened like maybe people want to <laughs> know more about this. So I, so I did another one and then I sampled something else and that didn't do well. And then I sampled a different, I, I just sampled things. I was never afraid to put something up. Yep. I said, at the end of the day, this is Instagram. They're going to forget about this post in, in about six minutes, yep. right? They're going to, they're going to like it. If they like it, they'll save it. If they don't like it, you never see it again. So I said, why not? I'll just put some stuff up, sampled it, um, made it. A, and then it became a game. It became a game for me. I had this local athlete contingent. Um, about three months later, I, I was. We had about twenty thousand followers. We, it became much more active, and then I got an email um, from a guy in Miami saying, "I found your Instagram. You seem to be a bit of like a, a jump whisperer or something." I remember he said something <laughs> like that it was actually funny, and I was like, "Oh man, my nickname was the Jump Guy." I'm like, maybe I should. <laughs> He goes, would you be interested in coming down and working with my son? And I said, uh, yeah, I guess. Like, that sounds awesome. I, you know, I'd never really yeah. thought about outside of the, the city. And he flew me down and, and um, I made a, a nice coaching fee for the weekend. And I over-delivered the crap out of the weekend. Like, my biggest thing is anytime you have an opportunity is just go to town. Like, show them the, the absolute most professional face that you can put on and, and but be yourself at the same time and deliver right don't make these false promises go in and say i'm going to do my best and then for me it was just coach the crap out of this kid and it, for me it was more about just establishing a good relationship with him yep. he was a guy that like put up a lot of walls with coaches because they he typically came from the yelling like drill sergeant coach and i was like came in immediately and i was like what's up, what's up man yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm just a guy. Yeah. Uh, 
and we clicked right away. We played a game of horse. He was like a, a, a ABA basketball player, played a game of horse. Um, uh, side note, I kicked his ass. Don't tell him I think that out loud. Um, I, well, I can still play a little horse. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we, we had a great weekend of sessions and we got him to um, uh, test about four and a half inches higher. He had been plateaued um, at that height for like 11 or 12 months. And um, yeah, he was just, his eyes opened and he realized that a lot of this was in his head. He's a very uh, anxious athlete. So I got him to do a lot of breathing. A lot of times with jumping is if you can get athletes to just relax, get the expectations out, breathe, shoulders fall. We call this ride the wave. And it's a technique where basically you take a handful of breaths before you're about to jump. And on every breath, you feel like your shoulders, they, they drop a little further and further. And then there's a moment when as a jumper, it's hard to describe. It's like you feel like this bit of a wave that pulls you into the jump. You're like, this is when I need to go. Yeah, I like that. That's an intuition that you don't avoid. You follow that wave. You ride that wave through your jump, and you let that pull you through nice and smooth. And, yeah, he jumped higher. His dad was kind of blown away. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. It was like the page kept growing. Um, I put better products up. I started building out more of that kind of you know new website, new store, new products, services. I, I recorded everything. So I put my coaching on camera. I mic'd myself up with a lav mic. I post my workshops. I post, I, I was like, I'll just give everybody everything. Yeah. Is for the most part, like I, I realistically, the majority of stuff that I coach is available somewhere. Yeah. But I wanted people to know how I coached because I, in my head, I was like, I think the way I coach will sell just as much as what I'm coaching. Hundred percent. People tend to right; they tend to gravitate toward a feeling, and if they can resonate with the way someone is coaching and that vibe they get from just watching a video, like at the end of the day, like I want to work with that guy. Like you know what I mean? Like I want I want to spend some time with him and and just see what it's all about. So yeah, I've done done workshops and, and we call jump overhaul weekends where we go in and whether it's with one or a group of people, we, you know, three, three sessions over the course of a weekend and we overhaul the jump, um, analyze. I do a lot of video breakdowns and, uh, just, yeah, we, we just go with it. It's, it's a day, it's a day to day growth. We got a lot of cool things in the works right now. Yeah. It's a lot of cool stuff. man. That's awesome. I'll have to hit you up on one of those, one of those weekend programs. We'll, uh, we'll break it down. That'd be awesome. Yeah, once um, we can travel outside of our house. Yeah, yeah. Once we can do it, <laughs> then I'll make my way up there. Make that work. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a. I love that story. I think it's super cool because there's a couple big highlights I want to pull from that. One, yes. it was uh, what you just said. I don't know if you've read the book yet called "Start with Why" by Simon Sinek. But if you haven't, uh, I would yes. highly recommend it because you just said exactly what it was. You oh. started because, or what what served you and what worked is is the reason behind what you were doing, right? What you are doing is coaching that athlete to jump higher, but the reason why and everything you put into it from the game of horse to just meeting that person where they were at, that's the why. Like that's your, that's your passion from when you were a kid. Um, the fact that you've decided to become a personal trainer at age 20, that's the reason why there is success. That's the reason why you were willing to put yourself in front of a camera and put out that program, even if it wasn't going to sell to anybody. And I think there's so much value in that. And we, the science behind that is really cool. I won't steal the book, but Simon Sinek, uh, right when we're done with this, pop on and uh, now that we have a little bit extra time in our day, watch his TED talk. Uh, I'll send it to you. It's, okay. it's incredible. And um, I think what you did right there is exactly that. And I love finding people that are doing that that haven't read that book yet because I'm just like, it works. 
and sure. it's an it's like an actual thing. The other thing behind that, I think, which I really find super valuable, is your willingness to just try and put up stuff, whether it's on Instagram or go out and meet people and do. Like there is so much lost in people that are just thinking about ideas and not taking action. And the fact that you're willing to take action and try different things, and then on the backside of that running with, like you said, feeling the wave of the things that are working. Like if this works and you enjoy doing it, like you have to do more of that. That's how things grow. So you're doing all of those things. And I just want to applaud, applaud you for that. I mean, that's how I found Appreciate you. Um, because that's a, that's a great, uh, that's a great bridge that you created yeah. there actually with the, the ride in the wave. And, you know, I, I do get asked that a lot, like how, and it's, it's really just having that kind of fearless mentality at times, but I, I'm not sure if it's 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 from being fearless or if it's just if it's a pre-programmed kind of disposition where it's like I I'm just going I'm just going to because I I can like yeah you know what I yep. mean it's not some sort of magic it's just at the end of the day you can just try it yeah you know what I mean? like you can just give it a go yeah I love that uh, I'm gonna throw out a couple quicker questions uh, okay. and then and then we'll 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 wrap things up here. When was your first dunk? Uh, my first dunk was in the 10th grade and it was in gym class and it was off of one foot with one hand. Um, I did what's called a self bounce dunk. So it's like kind of, as you run, you bounce it in stride and then you chase it. And that actually, my old man showed me that. So he was a volleyball and basketball player and wasn't overly explosive, yeah. but get a couple one hand. He's a six, three, I'm six foot. So he's okay. six three, and so he had a bit of height. My yep. uncle, his brother, six eight, uh, was obviously height. So yeah, I, I was the shortest, and I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta learn to jump. Um, but yeah, I caught it in the tenth grade um, in gym class, and it was a, a wonderful. Because I mean, all I did was jump at the mesh and jump at the box and jump at the backboard. Yep, you bang it and you're hooked. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, what What's been your best dunking moment personally? My, my best dunking moment personally was being invited to dunk in Moscow in Russia. Um, in 2012, I was invited to dunk in what's called the Moscow Open, which is the world's largest three-on-three basketball tournament um, right at the uh, Olympic Village in Moscow. So we, um, a handful of us underneath my Project Vertical label at the time, which was like my dunk team, were flown out, um, four of us, three representing our project vertical three on three team and two of us representing uh, dunkers. And it was like 12 of the best dunkers in the world dunked on a, a stage that was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. It was a half court uh, domed in venue with a jumbotron with crane cameras coming out <laughs> all over the place. You're like introduced with your own highlight tape and, and music so needless to, and about eight or 10,000 fans. And it wow. was like, it was, it was baffling. So yeah. it was one of those, you know, uh, points in my life where I said, I could care less if I, I don't even hit a dunk right now. Like just being here is the coolest thing ever. Um, but I remember going up for my first warm up dunk in front of that crowd and my legs felt like you know, <laughs> baby giraffe. Yeah. I, was like, I was like, whoa, and they buckled. And I remember just thinking, okay, dude, you need to breathe. Yeah. Everything's cool. <laughs> And it was, and it was just, it was awesome. It was just a neat experience all the way from the moment we left to the moment we came back. It was a four day venture. So imagine flying all the way to Moscow oh, wow. and back. And in four days, 
it was a wild, wild experience, but something I will never forget. That's awesome. What's been a, uh, a key highlight or moment as a coach? My key highlight and moment, there's, there's so many that stick out to me as, as things that will kind of fortify the love I have for coaching. Um, but I think it's a recurring event for me more so than one specific event. And it's really that moment when any specific athlete, whether they're brand new or they're elite or professional, realize that there is still dormant potential within them at that moment. And I've had so many like Olympic and national athletes come to me and they have this perception that like, well, I'm just plateaued. Like there's no way I'm jumping any higher. And when I'm able to help kind of unlock these extra inches and they test higher or they, something feels different and their eyes get big. I mean, I have multiple testimonial videos and before where these athletes land after a jump and they turn to the camera <laughs> and they're like, what? Like, and these are like, world-class athletes that are like what the heck just happened and that those moments are the best feeling because it's like to know what that feels like from their end kind of it just kind of tops you up you know what I mean? yeah it's yeah like, i know it i i know what that feels like and i love that you're feeling it and i'm so happy for you and it just reinforces all of the hours and and moments when things are challenging and and things are trying it just it makes makes everything worth it everything i love that uh where can people find out about you where can they what's the what's the instagram what are some of the programs you have right now um i'm following a lot of your at home stuff while we're 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 condensed in here but i also follow a bunch of the other things you're doing so where can people find out about you let's start from um online digital all the way to calling you out to you know help their team or them as an athlete um, or maybe come and see you at your facility yeah so best place to start is definitely our instagram so at project pure athlete we have a very very active social media platform so daily post lots and lots of free content um, on whether it's exercises in the gym or at home or jumping based technique drills um, there's a lot of like jump breakdowns that's something i became better known for yep. someone that's really good at breaking stuff down you hear my voice you'll see the animations. And I think those became very, very helpful. Uh, so Instagram, we go live all the time as well. So I, I think that's, I have to mention my, my business partner with the other half of Project Pure Athlete, Coach Chase Skinkiss is a world-class coach, world-class human, elite basketball player, was a former pro dunker himself. And he's a kind of more recent addition to PPA, but he's been coaching for a long time. So we will take care of people that come over and become part of what we have there. Um, from a Additional service perspective, we have some you know one-off jump programs that you can grab that are very affordable. We just released a, a Project Vertical Home Edition Elite, which is exactly, you just need some space, your body weight, and maybe a resistance band. And uh, you can train your vertical right in your home. You just need a little bit of room, uh, but everything can be adapted. Uh, we have, uh, again, like I said, those programs. We have what's called the PPA Insider Community, which is our basically our online training community. It's $29 a month. You get access to all the classic programs, but more importantly, you get access to our private training forum uh, where you can post your videos for daily feedback. You can watch other people's training journeys, stay accountable. It's it's like once you get on there and realize like that's what 29 bucks gives yeah. you. This is ridiculous, man. Yeah. And or like I just wanted as many people. I wanted a community. I just wanted to build this community. And uh, we're going to be rolling out very, very soon what's called Team PPA, which is our little bit more um, 
exclusive training application. So it onboards you to our training app, gives you a little bit more of a streamlined approach to you specifically as a jumper. Um, you get uh, performance markers, track your workouts, track your, be uh, your behaviors, your rest, your recovery, video library of like 500 plus videos, uh, direct contact to coaches. I mean, we're just constantly trying to provide as much as we can. Um, from the digital space perspective, we're also available for contracts. So we're, we're, you know, we're flown into a lot of different venues to work with clubs. Um, you know, we work a lot with volleyball. It's not just basketball and dunking. A lot of our clientele are volleyball cl clubs and coaches and athletes. Um, so we are available. That's best search uh, if you email projectpureathlete at gmail.com. Um, easy to inquire through that, and we can take you through the steps for that as well. We have a coaching certification called our PPA level one coaching certification for really bridging the gap between like the weight room and the gymnasium for a lot of these team coaches. A lot of strength coaches take this certification so it's that they have a better understanding of how to coach a jumper and how to implement aspects of PPA jump technique into the weight room itself and learning how to kind of marry the two. And that's the one thing we talk about is jump training is not a band-aid a jump technique is not a band-aid i should say it's worked right alongside strength yeah. conditioning and they grow together um so there's a lot i mean there's a lot of avenues to Sweet. contact us we're doing many many things we have a youtube as well with a lot of long-form content on there um we just we're, we're just constantly pumping stuff out man it's just non-stop we love jumping we live jumping but more importantly it's it's what the message is about it's a greater and it's bigger than jumping and that's why i appreciate your guys platform so much as you really talk a lot about the importance of the whole person and and how that applies to really at the at the end of the day just bettering yourself on a day-to-day -day basis so yeah i love that and our, and our final question we ask everybody our 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 main message is that every single day is the best day ever, and we are in charge of that. It's it's not just like a fluffy thing, but in times like now, we need to be happy that we're able to breathe, we're able to jump, we're able to walk around and be with our family. So if you wake up tomorrow and uh, the travel ban is lifted or whatever it is, you can do whatever you want tomorrow. What is the best day ever look like for Tyler? You know what's hilarious before I even get into this is I this exact exercise – I do with every athlete I meet Love it. and they, and they're like, they look at me and they go, what? Like I'm talking, I got a pro athlete yes. and as we're warming up, I'm like, as you're warming up, I want you to think about what your ideal day looks like. Yes. I've never been asked this. Let's before. go. Let's hear it. This is a big day for me. It's a big day. Uh, you know what? It's probably not like super complex. My ideal day. I have a, uh, I have a five month old, uh, son at home, um, and, and my beautiful wife and, um, Every every day is, it feels like a gift right now. It's like you're I say it's like we're unwrapping Christmas presents every morning because you get to you take him out of his crib and it's like he levels up and you're like oh my gosh this yeah. is so cool. Um, so really it's you know it's with my family. I love a big old breakfast. I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat like a big old farmer's breakfast because I'm usually pretty dialed down with my nutrition. So like I would just I crush everything in, in sight. <laughs> you know, big old breakfast, um, try to not crash after that. And, um, you know, it's funny, like, I'm not sure I, I debate whether I would leave town and I would like fly to like somewhere warm and just chill on the beach or whether, you know, we would just spend the day together. I quite honestly feel like it's so cliche. I quite honestly feel like I live 
more ideal days than yeah. non-ideal days already. So it's like to say what I could do if I had, you know, anything, it would really just be a consensus amongst the two of us, my wife and I and our baby. And we just, we just go from there. It doesn't oh, wow. matter what we're doing. I, I have a great time with them. And um, yeah, I, I love my career and my, I'm passionate about it. So yeah, I have no complaints over here, man. That's great. I love to hear that. Well, we want to thank you so much for opening up, sharing your story, uh, giving me some personal pointers, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on the program. So I need to need to dial it in. I love it. Um, I love what you guys are doing. I love um, the reason behind why you're doing it. So thanks so much for your time, um, and we'll we'll get this thing live so that we can get some more dunkers and jumpers out in the world. Let's do it. Actually, if if you're hearing this right now, go to our channel. We just dropped what's called our project Pure Athlete Challenge. It's 10 days of like something to do every day. Keep the competitive fire alive. Something for free. You can win some prizes. Come over and hang out. Sweet. Uh, Awesome. Thanks so much, Tyler. Awesome, dude. Thank you. All righty.